This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber, and this is the Out of Bounds Podcast. Today we have an awesome episode with Aaron Spong. Aaron is a newly crowned professional skier, uh, and she is uh, an extremely thoughtful person, and I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad we get to kind of get some of Aaron's story out in the world. So I hope you enjoy it. Before we jump into the episode, a couple quick things. First, we have our sponsors at Darn Tough. Darn Tough makes the very best socks, period, point blank. There's no questions asked. We are now getting into run, hike, bike season. And if you need one, if you need a new pair, I mean, really all you need is one. You can make it last forever. But if you need a new pair of Darn Tufts, go to darntough.com and get yourself some clean socks. Like, just don't be gross. Get some clean socks. Look who's talking. It's like pot calling kettle black. It's a little rough. But anyway, darntough.com, darn tough Vermont. Next, we have our friends at Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada has released the all-new Summerfest. Summerfest is the light. It's the purple can beer uh, that they've just released in time for spring. Super good. Super drinkable. Nice offering from Sierra Nevada now. And don't forget, they also have Hop Splash that has been a wildly successful skew for them now. Hop Splash is a non-alcoholic beer, basically, except it's kind of a seltzer, but it kind of smells like beer. It's a little confusing. Like, you smell it, and you're like, oh, this is going to taste like beer. And then you drink it, and you're like, oh, this is a seltzer. So very little confusing, but it's good. It's super good. So go to SierraNevada.com. Get yourself some hop splash or find your local dealer and get yourself some Summerfest. Must be 21 years of age or older to buy anything except for the Summerfest. Aaron, tell people who you are. Tell people a little bit about yourself and then we can kind of take it from there. All right. Um, my name is Aaron Spong. I am a professional skier based out of Pocatello, Idaho. Um, I ski for Nordica and cast touring at the moment. Um, and I am originally from Minnesota. I grew up ski racing in the flatlands um, of the Midwest and eventually made my way out west after college, um, got a full-time job, hated it, <laughs> um, eventually left that job two years later, found myself at Free Skier, worked at Free Skier for a couple of years, and then the pandemic happened and everything just kind of shifted around for me, but in a great way. Um, so that is when I became a sponsored skier and a freelance writer and marketing specialist. Nice. So can we talk about the writing and the freelancing and all that kind of stuff for a second? How, yeah, absolutely. how does that work? I think there's a lot of people that are trying to make it in freelance and like, what is, what does that schedule look like? How do you keep yourself honest? How do you I don't know. How do you make those connections and make sure you actually get the work that you need to survive? Um, it was a genuine like blind leap of faith when I got laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. It was March 17th, 2020. And I was actually out in Idaho doing a story on Tamarack Resort for Free Skier. Um, and I tacked on a couple personal days at the end of that trip to just hang out with my boyfriend and partner, who is also a professional skier, Sander Hadley. And we were hanging out in Pocatello. I was actually running to the grocery store with his grandma when Damien gave me the call. And 
unfortunately had to lay me off. Um, so I was sitting in the parking lot of the Pocatello grocery store with Sanders' grandma sitting in the passenger seat, just so awkward and quiet. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, and then I actually went into the grocery store. Amazing story. This woman found out that I had lost my job. I was standing in the line behind her and she found out that I just like just lost my job 10 minutes prior yeah. to picking up these groceries <laughs> and she paid for my whole grocery bill that day. Um, and that kind of just set the tone for moving to Pocatello. I knew that this was my home. Um, so I literally drove home from the grocery store, still kind of drying off my tears from being laid off and looked at Sander and was like, well, I can live here now. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I stayed in Pocatello for three months with a duffel bags worth of clothes and a couple pairs of skis. And then three months later, Sandra and I drove out to Denver. We moved my stuff out of my apartment, picked up my car from my friend's house and drove my life all the way back here no <laughs> in way. like two days. <laughs> That's it's crazy. It's a big switch up. Big switch up. So in that, I just like rolled with the punches of getting laid off and basically the next day started my freelance business, started reaching out to people that I just know in the industry through free skier and through um, at the advertising agency that I was at prior and just started making contacts with, you know, networking and um, reaching out, letting them know that I was freelance and letting them know that I was looking for work. And um, a friend, Tommy Joyce, who is predominantly a filmer, um, heard that I got laid off from free skier and he and I met through free skier cause he was doing video work for us for ski test in 2020, right before the world shut down. And he's the one that gave me my first freelance job working, um, on a CBD affiliate marketing site. So I was writing CBD reviews and brand reviews, product reviews, things like that. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. I joined this Facebook group called Basecamp outdoor jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, and they post a ton of, um, job opportunities that are in the outdoor industry or outdoor related. Um, and I found um, a really great job with Rebecca's Private Idaho, mm -hmm. which is a gravel bike race in Sun Valley, Idaho, every Labor Day weekend hosted by professional cyclist Rebecca Rush. Um, and that's been a natural fit. I've been there almost a year with them and I'm still continuing on. And then eventually Free Skier reached back out and I've been just um, contractually contributing to Free Skier for the last three years. Um, it can be weird at times. You can, it definitely feels like you're faking it till you make it every single day. Um, but if you can roll with the uncertainties and trust yourself and trust the process, freelance can work out for you. It's just, you gotta be really good at being frugal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. What is yeah. the, what does that initial email look like when you're trying to reach out to somebody for the first time and you're trying to make something happen? Cause I think that's the, like behind the curtain look that people look for especially when they're trying to just figure out this new thing and obviously you have some industry contacts and stuff like that so that helps a ton but if you're blind reaching out to someone or reaching out to someone you haven't worked with previous like what what does that email look like um i try to just be authentically myself and basically tell that whole story in a much more condensed version um mm -hmm. in an email and so that I lay out all of my expertise. Um, I'm a writer, I'm a marketing specialist, I'm a copywriter, product reviews, athlete, content creator. Um, I can kind of do a lot in the marketing and writing editorial space. And so it's being authentic to your story, laying it all out there, clearly listing your skills, mm -hmm. 
and making a connection to that brand. Why would you be a good fit to that brand? Why would that brand benefit from you hopping on that team um, and hoping that somebody on the other end resonates with your story and with your skills and feels that you're also a great fit for the brand. How often do you get told no or ghosted like versus the amount of times that someone says yes to a project? I've been lucky that I've been pretty successful. Um, <laughs> but that's not to say that I haven't gotten those or haven't, you know, I've been ghosted with, um, you know, applications and things like that. And that yeah. I just take that as, okay, it wasn't meant to be on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, you can't let, you can't let one no deter you from asking more people because I firmly believe that when one door closes, it means that it's closing for another door to open and you just got to be curious enough to peek behind the curtain. Yeah. What, what was your experience working with Freeskier when you were working in house? Like that's when I first met you, what, what was the vibe working there? How, how did you kind of make a stamp on what they did? And I guess, what did you do in general from a day to day? Um, I was the assistant editor. So at the time, Donnie O'Neill was the editor in chief mm -hmm. and Sam Taggart was the digital editor. So I worked under the two of them. Um, and I helped on both print and digital. Um, so I was writing, writing web articles um, pretty much on the daily basis and then contributing to the magazines, helping edit the magazines, copy editing the magazines, proofreading them before they went to final print. Um, and then I think a lot of my role at the time, I was when I was hired on, I was the only female in the office. And as a person, that doesn't bother me. I'm definitely like my personality is just kind of one of the boys. I grew up with one older brother and that's just what I'm used to. But um, from an athlete's perspective, I wanted to ensure that we were giving women equal opportunity in media coverage. And I just kind of brought that female thought process to every meeting that we had, every cover issue conversation that we had. Um, I was the one kind of bringing in the, well, you know, it's all white men yeah. that are, you know, at options right now. Can we look for something with a female in it? Can we look for a female photographer for this project? Can we look for a female writer for this project? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that they were actively trying to leave women out. It's just that they were all men. And so they were just looking from looking at everything from their male perspective. Right. And I just brought in that female sense. Right. Do you think that side of things in the media and in skiing in general has gotten better over the last few years? It, it feels like there's a bigger push to like talk about how much better it is, but I don't know how much better it actually has gotten. So I'm curious to hear your take on this. I actually recently commented on slush magazines, yeah. uh, recent posts where they like laid out all four of the covers slush is a snowboard magazine. And of the four covers, there were two men, two women. Yeah. And I have yet to see a ski publication give equal cover opportunity to men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think just from that perspective, there's more work to be done. Obviously, yeah, we're seeing more women photographers, more women videographers, more female projects, more, you know, women on social media, but I'm not confident that that representation is, you know, fully trickling down and up the whole way, um, mm -hmm. you know, the entire media chain. And, um, yeah, I think that there's plenty of more work to be done in that front. I think that there is plenty more coverage that women can take up. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's definitely something to be said for like the effort that is starting to go into it. I, I agree. I don't think it's exactly equal coverage, especially at the highest level at this point. And 
there's so many women doing projects that deserve the coverage and that kind of deserve to be in the limelight, but it's hard. There's so much content coming out from everyone at this point that like the thing that I have seen happen a little more and that I, I hope happens more is that people look a little deeper and like search for those other stories instead of just like, Oh, somebody like had some banger at it. And like that needs to get like all the press for the week or something like that. Like people are, it seems like they're starting to dive a little deeper than just like that traditional surface level, which I like a lot. So I don't know. Totally. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that women are absolutely taking up more space than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. I just think that we have more space that we can take up. Yeah. Yeah. I had someone actually like DM me and be like annoyed about like they're saying that they're a guy, a white guy, of course. Um, talking about how they feel like they're losing coverage because they're not a like BIPOC or a female in the industry. And I'm just like, this is a very weird way to look at what's going on right now. It just sounds like an individual who loves to operate with a victim mentality and probably just doesn't have good enough clips to get yeah. the coverage <laughs> that he wants. <laughs> it's stacked. Like it's hard. Cause there's so many people putting out so much good stuff and like, yeah, I mean, you might just be middle of the pack. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just, and this person's a great skier, but like, it was just, it was a weird comment to get. And I, sometimes I wish these people would keep these things to themselves. Yeah. That's definitely a thought that that individual or any individual who has that thought should probably keep to themselves at this point. Yeah. I mean, um, it's uh, like, obviously like the better thing would be to change the way you look at things. But if you're going to look at it that way and be stuck in that, like maybe just don't like the things that people feel comfortable saying behind a screen and in the DMS is insane to me. It will never on a daily basis, the shit that we get in the inbox, I'm just like blown away that people just have the gall to say the kinds of things that they do. Oh yeah. It's crazy. Like Instagram and more so I get like the hater TikTok comments. Oh, TikTok and at first, is the worst. at first I wasn't used to it. Like <laughs> when I was first building my TikTok, I was like, Oh my, I was taking every comment so personally and I'm finally at a healthy place where I'm like, all right, if I'm getting the hater comments on a post, then I know I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah, it's good engagement, if nothing else. It's it's funny. TikTok is one of those places where, like, people don't read anything. They don't read the caption. They don't read, like, they, they don't take any context into play. Like, the amount of, you'll just put out an opinion and everybody has to have the right opinion. They'll just say bullshit that's just completely untrue just to have a comment out in the world. And I'm like, I'm convinced that most of these people aren't actually real people and that they're just like hate bots that have spammed the internet or like people with fake accounts that are just in there to just troll. It's, it's insane. I've never seen a more hateful platform than TikTok, but it's, I don't know. It's fun. I'm addicted to TikTok. Like I feel like everybody I'm is. So like, addicted. It's, so, it's so bad, but it's so toxic. So like what, I don't know. It's just so good at curating a feed to the things that you want and don't even really know that you want. Yeah, totally. Like my entire TikTok feed is skiing, snowboarding and dogs. Yeah, exactly. I've I've said this before, but lately like my feed is basically like it's been Greek mythology, skiing and old Jewish men haggling for Rolexes <laughs> and it's like that's and that one's deep. Like I've been, and I like watch like two minute videos about like, n like literally just a live interaction of like a 65 year old man haggling for a Rolex to save a couple bucks. And it's like, I don't know what gets me. So I don't even like watches. This is not a thing that I knew that I liked. It's just, it's hilarious that this is the kind of thing that just sucks you in. 
it's your like visual version of ASMR. Yeah, exactly. That's literally what it is. And I'm like, oh man, I'd love to be haggling for Rolexes right now. I'm like, dude, I don't fucking care about those at all. It's what you aspire to be. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe in another life. Um, <laughs> can I ask you your thoughts on print media right now? Like obviously a lot of the major magazines in skiing are going away from print mm-hmm. and doing mostly digital stuff or they're just doing a gear guide and it's been a little limited is is there value in print still in your mind and I guess is it an issue of the way that the magazines are putting out content or is it an issue of people are just so sucked into their phones and the computer that they just don't care about a physical product so much anymore I think I think that like social media and like the digital media world space has really changed people's perspective on paying for content. Mm -hmm. And so much is available for free now at our fingertips that a lot, I think a lot of people are at the thought process of, well, why would I wait or why would I pay to wait for the content that I will likely see some of already Mm -hmm. in social media on like in digital platforms um, before I get it. But I do think that there is value in print. Um, I still wake up every morning and either read my book or read a print magazine. Right now I'm getting through the latest Backcountry Magazine issue. Um, And that's how I like to wake up is with print reading. Um, I think it's a great way to wake up the brain. I think it's a great way to start off the day in a peaceful, thoughtful way. Um, So that's my personal take, but I'm probably biased because I work in the print media industry. (laughs) I think I, I tend to agree. Like, I think there is a lot of value in it. I think the reason that I got super jaded on a lot of these publications is just the amount of ads that take up the thing. And I get it. Like it's, everybody's got to make their money. Everybody's got to charge for a thing, but it was like, I forget what magazine I picked up and I don't, not because I don't want to call them out but even though I probably shouldn't um I can't remember who it was but there was just a magazine I was flipping through and it's like every other page was an ad and I'm just like this yeah the content might be really good but it's almost like discouraging to start to read something and then every other page be even if it's a product I want one the ad loses the effectiveness that it could have and I lose any interest in paying for this thing like why am I paying for this if everybody else is paying this publication like I I almost think that there's more value in putting less of that stuff in actual product and selling more to the brands that are going to support it. Right. And I I don't have a perfect answer, but it's like you're paying at both ends, right? They're, they're getting paid at both ends. And I know there's not a ton of money flooding into magazines right now, but I feel like there's an opportunity. You're starting to see people have to go through paywalls for a lot of this content that exists online Mm-hmm. to get like the news or to get articles or you get X amount of free articles per year. And I think there's something to be said for that when it comes back to print. Cause I think there's a lot of people that still want to hold something in their hands and read it and are willing to pay for it. But if they're going to pay for it, they want a product that's complete. I agree. I think it's, it's a double edged sword for sure because advertising dollars are what keep the publications running and keep them printing Um, But I think that the just like slapping an ad on a page is a really lazy way to advertise. Um, You know, like you can make an advertisement out of a print editorial story. 
Yeah. It just takes a little bit more of the footwork and boots on the ground and a little bit more dedication to those ads. But we've done it before at Free Skier where um, and a whole editorial piece is about, you know, Donnie going to um, Russia, Kamchatka, Russia with the Fisher team. And that wasn't necessarily like a verbatim ad for Fisher, but that was absolutely paid advertorial for Fisher as a company. Um, So I think that there are better ways to advertise in print and that way everybody still wins. The magazine still gets the advertising dollars. Mm -hmm. The brand still gets the exposure, but it's more meaningful and more impactful than just slapping a photo on a single page with a, you know, quirky tagline. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. That, that kind of stuff I think holds a little more value long-term too, whether it's for the publication or it's for the brand, right? Like I, I think, yeah, it might be a little more expensive, but you're actually getting something out of it. Like both parties are getting something out of it versus like sticking out in a, in a paper. What, what is the benefit to the brand? How many people are actually going to a website as their secondary, right? Like you're looking at it and then you have to physically go and type out a URL or physically go to a ski shop or like there's a second step to that, that, almost adds another layer to a complicated process. Yeah, totally. Like unless you're like putting a QR code on the page, which I've seen, and then you can like literally just scan it with your phone. That's the easiest way to get people from a print article or print advertisement to your website. Um, But yeah, going back to like the advertorial perspective, like that's a way for brands to also utilize their athletes. Yeah. You know, so many, I mean, a lot of ads, you know, will utilize athletes, but a lot of ads will utilize models or not utilize their athletes at all. And it's like, well, what, what's the point of having your athletes if you're not going to use them in your advertisements? Uh Yeah, for sure. I, and this was actually one of my questions for you. Do you feel, how was it transitioning into being a professional skier and having this as a career? Like, do you feel like you're getting the opportunity to shine from the brands you work with? Do you feel like they're using you in the right ways? Do you, and obviously the easy answer is yes, like everything's great. But like, I I genuinely want to know from an athlete perspective, if brands use their athletes well enough, do you feel like you've been used well enough? And, and if not, what are some of the ways you'd like to be? Um. I think that all brands could improve on using their athletes in their advertising and marketing and utilizing the content that those athletes naturally create that they want to put out themselves. Mm -hmm. There's no problem in brands reutilizing that content. Um, Personally, I recently switched brands because I felt like I wasn't being utilized to my fullest potential at my former brand. Mm and now you know, I've only been with Nordica for six weeks, so I haven't. I don't really have um, a lot of time under my belt to fully answer that question from Nordica's perspective. Yeah. Um, but when I first transitioned to being sponsored, and the first three years were with Rosignol, and it was strictly product float, um, I definitely still face imposter syndrome. I still question if brands are picking me up because I'm a good athlete or because they think that they can, you know, utilize my connections at free skier. Um, and I'm fine with them being both, but it's gotta be both. You know, I, I've personally spent the time building all of these different skill sets so that I can use them all together in the same industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and in kind of like one package deal. And, um, yeah, so I felt like I was, 
valued at Rossignol for being um, a connected to free skier and part of like the industry's editorial space, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily feel valued as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started poking around asking other brands, you know, is product float the best that I can do? Is that what I should just accept? Or, you know, are there more opportunities out there for me? Does another brand seem, you know, me more so as an athlete than just uh, a writing and marketing specialist? Mm-hmm. And Nordica gave me the answers that I wanted to hear. And um, I've so far been a part of one of the Nordica women's uh, happy hours. Mm-hmm. So it's um, just the women of Nordica involved. And we simply just get together quarterly and talk about Nordica as a brand, what we have for products, what we're liking out of the products, what we want to see more so out of the products, and also like how we want to market to women as a team from Nordica and how we want to treat our athletes and how we want to treat our ambassadors and how we want to bring other women into this space. And um, I genuinely really appreciate the candidness of those conversations um they want to hear the good the bad and the ugly they don't want to hear you know just what's going to fluff their feathers uh yeah they want to hear it all and they want to make a real change a real difference and that comes with them not actually having a name or like a women's program Mm -hmm. we are just like the women's group within nordica falls under the nordica umbrella and that's simply because we don't want our own table we just want equal seats at the same table as everybody else Mm. And Nordica so far has been doing a great job of that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think Nordica can benefit too from some criticism on the inside because everybody is just huffing Nordica right now. Like it is like the skis are crushing. Like it is just the stuff is doing really well. And they've had a lot of success over the past six, seven years where they have a top selling ski. They have a top selling ski series for both men and women. And the product is really, really solid. It's funny to see them go from being like the king of boots was like their tagline for a little while. And now boots have like the boots are still super solid, but the focus is certainly on Alpine ski at this point. And it's funny to see that switch because, you know, not that long ago, it wasn't the skis that people were coming to Nordica for. Yeah, for sure. Nordica made boots for 80 years before they ever tried making skis and now they're excelling at both. And I would say like that they have not lost their focus at all on boots. Mm-hmm. It's just that they've expanded that focus to Alpine skis. Yeah. And now with the entire unlimited series, the unlimited ski, unlimited ski, the um, unlimited boot, like there's, they're dominating right now. Mm-hmm. I'm so psyched to be on the product that I am because I feel very like 100% in the driver's seat. And every single pair of skis that I've stepped on of Nordica's have reacted exactly how I want them to and do exactly what I want them to. And it is so nice to feel in control. And on a boot perspective, I have teeny tiny feet. I have a 22.5, but I come from a ski racing background. And so I love a stiff boot that I can really charge in. And for the last three years, I was in a 23.5 boot that was not stiff enough. And so I was not only swimming around, but just flexing the shit out of that boot. And um, to be in a boot now that fits and is stiff and performs, I feel like 100% a better skier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like we've beat that conversation to death almost on the internet, but like nothing has changed 
across the ski boot landscape where they're not offering very many stiffer performance boots in smaller sizes. And I don't know what needs to change for that to happen. Like Nordica certainly has a couple good ones. Like it seems like it's starting to drift into place, but there's just not, and I don't know if there ever will be the amount of options that are appropriate because the numbers, we put ourselves in a bad situation as an industry because we kind of pigeonholed like 23.5 is a small size, right? So if you were smaller than that, you walk into a ski shop and you probably get a 23.5 no matter what, like because mm-hmm. that's what's in stock and the opportunity to try something in a performance category is not there. And like ordering one is not really an option. Like you're going to order a boot that you don't know what the fit's like. You don't know how it works. And it's just like what has to change first, the chicken or the egg, right? Do the brand start offering it before the shops start ordering it? Like, do we, like, I, I don't know. Cause like, yeah. I don't think the shop situation is going to change all that rapidly. It is a little bit over the last couple of years because boots are fitting bigger. So a 23, five fits a lot like a 24, 24, five of old, like the liners are just softer. They're more comfortable. They fit better. And this isn't with all brands, but it's with a lot of the brands. Like, if you told me I could ski a 26.5 five years ago, I would have told you you were a liar. You know, like there was just no, there was no way it could have happened. But now like I can get my foot into one, like they're soft enough and stuff is comfortable enough that you can downsize much more than you could before. So I think that's a benefit to the situation, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to change to the rate that it needs to. Yeah, the whole reason that the Nordica Unlimited Boot came about, and they have a whole Unlimited Boot series, but the highlight for me is the Unlimited 130, and it mm-hmm. comes down to a 22.5, like a true 22.5, 265 millimeter true. boot. Yeah, okay. Good. And it came from the women of Nordica getting together every quarter and constantly harping on the brand internally for not having a stiff 22.5 boot Mm -hmm. and finally the designer ethan corpy was like all right i give up like i'll make you the boot i can't (laughs) listen to this anymore so i'll make you the boot so (laughs) thanks ethan (laughs) appreciate it yeah speak of wheels get the grease yeah exactly yeah i can i literally can picture ethan throwing his hands up in the air and just being like fuck (laughs) it we're doing it i don't care like i just leave me alone (laughs) yeah so the boot will come out in the fall and i guess we will see you know, how many women are actually looking for that boot in that size. And I'm confident that it's way more than any male boot fitter, boot maker, boot designer would be willing to admit. Boot buyer would be willing to admit. For sure. I I 100% agree with you. Um, Let's talk about the boot for a second here. New closure system that is not BOA on the bottom Mm -hmm. half of this thing. How do we feel Mm -hmm. about it? It's I have some questions about it as far as like how it actually holds your foot into place. And that's really my only question when it comes to that, because this boot is so much better than the old Strider. Like that Strider was not an uphill boot. Like it was, and Nordic could be the first one to tell you, like this is a boot that can go uphill. It is not an uphill boot. And functionality wise, it just wasn't there. The new unlimited is like, they've jumped a couple steps up that ladder i think so mm-hmm. i really like the boot i'm curious on the closure system in your experience so far to be fully transparent i have not gotten the unlimited boot okay. yet the 22.5 i believe is available this month for me okay. um, for the athletes it'll be available this month mm-hmm. um, and then available to the general public in the fall they just hadn't completed 
making it when they launched the unlimited boot last month yeah. or in February. Um, so full transparency, I have not used it, but I did ask Brooks Curran mm -hmm. why they decided to go with that cable closure system, but not the BOA. And he said that it was for two reasons. It's lighter than the BOA system. Um, so a few less grams for those who count those. And um, it also just has a like more precise fit, I believe, and is just more reliable. The BOA system can get lodged with snow mm -hmm. and ice up and no longer function, whereas the cable system doesn't risk doing that out in the elements. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see. I've tried it on, but like I'm curious to see what it skis like. I'm curious to see how it holds up because obviously this is a year when everybody's sticking boa on a lot of their models and like it's kind of taken over the conversation and this has gotten a little overshadowed by that <laughs> and technica nordica debello all decided to lang rosie all decided to avoid doing boa year one so mm -hmm. i'm interested to see how that affects those brands as we go into a year when surely everybody's either going to be breaking boas praising boas or I don't know, throwing the fucking things out the window. So I'm like, I'm genuinely curious to see what happens. I so far like two of them and I hate two of them. So it's like, mm. I, I think. 50-50. Yeah. I mean, I, th and I don't know, I have Tom from K2 coming on next week. So we'll see what he says in his defense, but I fucking hate that boot. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I think it fits bad. The toe box is too big. It's a weird shape and it's brittle, but oh, there's. Shit. But it's light and, you know, it skis really well, you know, but I, I just don't, I think there's a couple misses there and yeah, I don't know, there's, there's not to single them out, but I feel like it's like another, <clears throat> it's the same wave that like overtook when shift first came out, the shift <laughs> yeah. binding. Yeah. I feel like we're like for the next few seasons, we're going to see brands like do a lot of trial and error with the BOA system and really figure it out. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, people are either going to love it or they're going to hate it. It's going to be super polarizing, like yeah. the shift. <laughs> Solomon barely did anything new to like play with it or like they fixed the AFD sort of, but like all they did was like, oh yeah, everybody's setting it up wrong, which is like, okay, there's a lot of people setting that binding up wrong, but really it's just kind of a piece of shit for a lot of purposes. It's a fine 50-50 binding. It works fine for some people, but for a $650 binding or whatever, like... I don't know. I kind of expect it to be a little better. My first experience, I've never actually skied the shift, but my first experience watching somebody ski the shift was at Retallic Lodge yeah. <laughs> uh, in April of 2019. She double ejected immediately for like first run of the day. And then last week, my last experience watching somebody ski the shifts, this dude double ejected on a groomer at my yeah. ski area yeah. and just slid like, 300 vertical feet and his skis were uphill. So I went and grabbed them for him, but I've you've honestly seen more people walk out of their shifts than successfully. You can literally anything. walk out of these things. Like it is, it is pretty crazy for a long time. I was very like, Oh, it's fine. Like, yeah, a lot of people are setting them up wrong. Like I'm sure they're, you know, it's better than a Kingpin or whatever. And I remember being a Tahoe last year, just skiing a groomer, nothing going wrong, like moving pretty quick and then like put an edge down and then all of a sudden like toe piece like cracked in half like thing like sliding down the hill like on nothing you know it's like it's just how it goes it's really funny to see that binding still be where it's at and I they have a new one in the works that's supposed to be a lot better but I'm, I'm curious okay. and honestly like I think the marker one sucks ass too so like I don't really <laughs> think that <laughs> there's not a great option other than cast I guess which kind of brings me yep. to my next question <laughs> 
you keep going the wrong I way. Keep, I know I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how has the cast system been for you? Have you had any issues with it? Is it like people are either Duke shift people or they're cast people. And I think the cast people always yell the loudest because it is a really good solution for a lot of things. But talk to me a little bit about pluses and minuses, because obviously there are some, you've got two different bindings yeah. set up behind you. So yep. clearly there's a reasoning for one versus the other. Totally. So, I mean, first off, the one thing that like is the elephant in the room with the cast system is it's heavy. Yeah. It's really heavy. Like it's not <laughs> a light walking setup. So look, pivot. but if yeah, pivots, like they're heavier than just the general pivot. Yeah. Um, so that is definitely the obvious negative of the cast system. But what I find and like, you know, if you're transitioning with a bunch of people on pin bindings, you're always the one, the last person to sure. finish transitioning. Um, but I think the biggest bonus is that then you're skiing on your pivot toes for the downhill and you're skiing your regular alpine binding yeah. for whatever backcountry line you want to ski. Do I think that it's the best setup for all day, every day touring? Go do 6K on it. I've done it. It can be a lot. <laughs> and I think for certain ski scenarios, if you know you're about to go huck your meat off some very large cliffs, yeah. I am absolutely taking my cast system. Yeah. If I'm just going out for a chill tour, or I'm going more for vert than I am for a specific, a specific drop or anything like that, then I'll take my pin bindings out. Um, and... Honestly, now that I am on the Nordicas, I'm finding that the biggest difference for me was the touring ski. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so much the pin bindings that bothered me. Now that I'm on the Nordica Unlimited 104, I ski the pin binding like I ski a downhill binding, and I don't think about it on the way down. But mm -hmm. having a pin binding on a touring-specific ski with that's super lightweight and has a very directional tail and can't handle any chatter then I could really feel the difference of the pin binding. Yeah. Um, but the cast system is absolutely for those, you know, big send days. Like, oh, I want to go hit this pillow line. I want to go hit this big cliff. I'm going sled skiing. The cast system is what I'm bringing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think that's the right way to do, to do it. If you have the opportunity and you have the ability to get two setups. And I think that's an excellent way to have two ideal setups that we have like a resort or like regular day setup that can also tour. And you have something that's, fully capable on the uphill setup it, it 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 blows my mind that people like nikolai Shermer are like skiing pin bindings only all the time like that mm -hmm. seems especially on some of the shit at the speed that he's skiing through some of the stuff in mixed conditions that he's skiing to be on that binding always seems terrifying to me but it seems like it's working out for him just fine he must not like know what he's missing with alpine bindings. <laughs> I feel <laughs> and he's like not a like he's not a small dude either. No. Like he's a pretty tall guy. Like he's got a lot of leverage if he's front and punching. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, it scares the shit out of me. I'm never I'm never going to get over it, I don't think. <laughs> Sander and I've literally watched his videos at home and been like, "All right, if he can ski that on pin bindings, we can ski on pin bindings." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think everybody thinks that and then they go do it and they're like, "This is not that cool." <laughs> terrifying i buttered on my pin bindings for the first time a couple weeks ago and i genuinely thought i was gonna rip the whole binding out of the ski yeah pass double Held it, up double it and give it to the next person like i'm fucking <laughs> all set on that i think it's just not release wise it's just not as safe and it just scares the shit out of me yeah i agree it's it can be terrifying so i'm 
slightly more conservative, I guess, when I ski pin bindings, but that also means that I'm generally further out in the backcountry. Yeah. Um, and so that's a better mindset to be in anyways. The further out you are, if something mm-hmm. were to go wrong, the harder it is to get you out. For sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, let me ask you about the kind of journey, I guess, as you're going through becoming a pro skier, as you're starting to figure it out. Obviously, you have some pretty good help in your corner um, with mm-hmm. Sander, but like, what was that process like? How do you deal with the day-to-day of doing that? Like, what does a day-to-day even look like? And obviously, like, dealing with the imposter syndrome of, like, I think anybody goes through this when they're getting into something new and a new category. Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? How do you manage that? Just tell me a little bit about what the process has been like for you. Yeah. So, basically, the day after I got laid off, I started reaching out to all the brands that I had connections to and I was also interested in skiing their product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, my first sponsor was Rosignol, head to toe. Um, They kitted me out with helmet, goggles, apparel, skis, boots, bindings, poles, Mm -hmm. backpacks, all of it. Um, And I'm so, so grateful for them taking me under their wing and really starting this whole journey with me and for me. Um, And that process has led to me really delving into the content creation and the video creation side of professional skiing. Um, I've thought about doing the free ride world tour like joining the qualifying series but growing up ski racing and doing ski racing for 14 seasons and having a kind of bitter end to it i was i still have a bad taste in my mouth about like real competitions contests invitationals rail jams like that kind of stuff is a little different but like the the tour is just a whole other beast and yeah it just doesn't fire me up. I knew that if I was going to do it, I was doing it really more for my brands um, or for other like external validation reasons. And that's just not a reason to do anything in life. You got to do it for you and you got to do what fires you up. And so they were really patient with me. And um, first year I joined Sander in his video project just to kind of figure out how you do that whole process the Mm -hmm. producing the skiing the editing the promotion of it once it's finished um and he really allowed me to just you know see everything no curtain i've got to witness how he functions and how he produces something Mm -hmm. and then second year i worked with anna a samant and we produced quaytrell quaintrell and that was a huge success and i honestly believe that it was a huge success because she and I genuinely were just having a good time making it and we were making it because we wanted to and there was no like external reasons for making that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it with very little or no sponsor support, um, really just kind of invested in ourselves and got the work done on a dime. And I'm super proud of it still. Um, it's definitely like a pretty awesome breakout piece to have in my arsenal now and um it just gets me fired up to doing the video producing um so that's what i'm doing this season is i am producing a individual project personal project that will be hosted on visit idaho's channels um and that's the idaho tourism board here um so i'm highlighting southeast idaho's backcountry terrain as well as my local ski area pebble creek and a neighboring ski area kelly canyon um to just really showcase southeast idaho's offerings in the winter time because Visit Idaho has never really done any promotion of the southeast corner of the state. Um, So I'm kind of doing that for them and I'm really excited. But the day to day for me, especially with freelance work, is I 
get up really early. I get up like usually between five and six a.m. every day, and I work on the computer until nine, ten o'clock. Some days it's all day if it has to be, but um, most days I'm working until like ten o'clock, and then I'm going skiing the rest of the day. And then I'll come home, I'll check my emails, get more work done if I need to, or uh, chill out, go to bed early, and do it all again the next day. It's a hustle. It is a hustle, but it's what fires me up. I can't sit around with nothing to do. My mind will go insane. So the busier that I am, the happier I am. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I think Cointrell, which I, could you have picked a harder name for people to say, like to roll off the tongue than that? Um, (laughs) I'm doing it again this year. I've picked a French word for my video project. (laughs) Maybe it makes people say it multiple times. So maybe there's something to be said for that aspect of it. I, I thought it was a really, really fucking good project because it also showcased what you do well and what Anna does well in contrast to each other really well. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think it seemed like you guys helped each other a lot along the way. And I think you're seeing it in your skiing this year. You're seeing it in her skiing this year. Like it's, it's pretty incredible to watch kind of what stemmed from that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that because that was kind of the whole point was to showcase that we can have, we can both be ripping skiers, but in very different ways. And there is room in this industry for all styles of skiers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that some people get caught up in thinking like, Oh, that person, you know, did that trick. So I need to do that in order to be validated as a professional. Um, but having conversations with a lot of people in this industry, that is a perk of being an editor for or assistant editor for, free skiers being able to talk to a lot of professional athletes and get their perspectives on things. And, um, you know, I recently talked with Kate Zeliff and she, you know, really wanted to harp on the fact that you do not have to ski the same way that everybody else does in order to become a pro. It's actually more beneficial if you lean into what makes you different and what like you're really good at and what fires you up. Because if you're having fun, then that's going to come through in the film or in the competition, whatever it is you're doing, that's going to come through versus if you're just doing something because you feel like you have to, and you're not fully invested in it, or it scares the shit out of you in the really bad way. Mm -hmm. um, That's going to come through as well. So lean into what you're good at, you know, progress, push yourself. If you want to learn backflips, learn backflips, but make sure that you're doing them for yourself, not, you know, for anybody else in this industry or, outside the industry even yeah that was actually one of my next questions here is how how do you manage what you feel like you should be doing as an athlete and for a sponsor with like what you actually feel like doing and feel good doing on a day-to-day I think it's aligning yourself initially with brands that fully support what you want to do so when you're having a conversation with a brand be genuine and authentic and transparent about what you want to do as an athlete. For me, I want to be backcountry, free ride, foot powered. I don't want to mess with sleds. I've owned a sled. I did not like it. It did not fire me up. It drained my wallet. It drained my energy. Like <laughs> It is not for me. I did not grow up on motors. Gave it a shot because I felt like I needed to. Yeah. And I hated it. Hated it. <laughs> so I'm so leaning into the foot powered aspect of backcountry free ride and I think that's what's going to make me different and um, so it's aligning yourself with brands that want you to do what you want to do you know like don't join a brand that asks you to join the free ride world tour and that's not what you want to do but you say yes because you just want the brand partnership yeah hold out wait for what you want take the nose 
you know, weigh the options and hold out for the brands that, you know, fully align with what you want to do. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. I like, it was kind of scary, like taking the leap from head to toe Rosignol and then just going to a ski boot brand and not having an outer sponsor not having a helmet goggle sponsor glove, anything like that. But I'm, you know, took the mentality of risk it for the biscuit because Nordica is more aligned with what I want to do and more fired up with me as an athlete and wants to give me the resources to continue to build. And um, so right now I'm kind of a free agent in terms of outerwear, helmet goggle, all that. And I'm okay with that because I'm with the ski boot brand that fully supports me and isn't forcing me to do anything that I don't want to do. What's the problem with sleds? Why, why don't you like sleds? They're just terrifying. I agree with you. And I agree with you. But maybe I'm just a hippie. A like yeah. you get real disconnected from the from the earth when you're on a snowmobile. You know, <laughs> you're traveling fast. You're not actually touching the snow. You can't hear anything but your motor. I just think that they fully disconnect you out there. Yeah. But I also think that they're great for access. Like out in the sawtooths, there are like, you know, cat tracks that go for miles into yeah. the backcountry that you can just ride the cat track, which I would do. If I were invited on a trip that just required easy cat track riding, I would rent a sled just for the access. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I'm not trying to make myself a sled skier. It's just doesn't fire me up. And yeah. it takes a lot of practice to get good at a sled and what I found in the one season that I owned it was anytime I was sledding, I was not skiing and yeah. who doesn't want to ski? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like you either see people like with their snowmobile parked into the <sighs> ground, like and stuck for forever. Or you see like the Logan Pahotas of the world, like launching those shits <laughs> off everything. Like it, it seems like there's very little nice casual. We had a good sled day today. Like that footage does not exist. Nobody gives a shit about that. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually telling, um, I was on a hut trip and Garai Dadali was on the same hut trip and we were chatting about sleds one night and I was explaining like my very first sled day. Sandra took me up in Driggs the day before we were going to go shoot with Noah Wetzel for the next two days. And we took me off this like insane trail. My left <laughs> ski was broken. I got stuck in the pow and then I was pulling my sled out and Sandra was driving my sled and we didn't realize that the ski was broken at the time. So I'm like trying to pull it out. And then Sander hit the rev and like it got stuck on my leg. Nice. And I was like, oh my God, this sled is actually going to murder me. And Garai <laughs> was like, so Sander never just took you to a pow field? I was like, you can just go to a pow field on a sled. <laughs> you wanted to go uphill? And he was like, he took you uphill first day? So... <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit of Sander to blame and me not loving sledding immediately. Um, But I also credit Sander with just, you know, throwing me in the deep end or throwing me in the fire and making sure that I can just survive. And that's made me the skier that I am today. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's definitely some Sander to blame. I think there's no (laughs) no issue with giving him some credit where it's due on both ends. (laughs) It's, It's a good thing. Um, yeah, so I've still never taken my sled or a sled in a pow field. I've literally only ever taken it up side hills. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know how that goes if that ever comes <laughs> to fruition. Um, can I ask you about advice for girls? Um, what What is this project? I just want some initial details. I don't know too, too much other than just like following along on the Instagram page and hearing you all talk about it. 
Yeah, I recently was invited to a group uh, shoot for the Advice for Girls film. Um, it is all spearheaded by Addie Jacobson and Sierra Schlag. Um, they are the two main athletes of the story. And it really just came to be as a thought process, actually as a poem that Addie had written, you know, to girls of the world as just advice um, that she has, you know, gathered so far in her career. And um, it has really flourished into this beautiful all women's project um, that just aims to elevate all women mm -hmm. um, and all, all people who identify as women um, which is super cool. So she's gotten some crazy big names involved like Devin Logan, Lindsay Dyer, Caroline Claire. Um, and then she's gotten, you know, two trans, uh, girls involved. And that's the first, these will be the first trans girls in an all women, all women's ski movie and, you know, a bunch of other girls in the industry, um, just to get together to shred and each of us provide our advice for girls um, and that will come out in the fall with, I'm sure, a big premiere tour. Um, but that's, yeah, kind of the gist of it. And I'm just really excited to be a part of it because I truly believe that a rising tide raises all ships. And the fact that this is Addie's first project and she is making a huge effort to get as many women involved in it as possible versus just focusing on elevating herself mm -hmm. um, speaks a lot to her character and Sierra's character as well. And, um, yeah. 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 I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's, I think it's a great thing. I I'm glad it exists. And I think the more of this kind of stuff, that's kind of telling a story and kind of taking a different route to what's going on in skiing mm -hmm. and in people's lives, I think is the right way to do it. Like I'm, I've said this a million times recently, but I'm like very sick of just watching Kular how shots like i i don't want to do it anymore i i'm sure i'll post some i'm sure like i will have a conversation about them but i'm just fucking over it like i want <laughs> i want to hear stories about the people behind those skis and on those skis and like what they do on a day-to-day -day and kind of hear more about that stuff because i think that's what resonates with people more long term yeah everybody knows that you're a good skier everybody knows that you can go ski pow looks really sick and everybody in the comments is going to ask you where that line is and how they get to it without using a map or doing any research. And I think that's fine, but both things should certainly exist on, on equal playing fields. And I think you're starting to see a lot more of these individual story-based projects that are existing in the space. And, and I just, I think it's really great. Yeah. As an athlete and a storyteller, there is no better ski project for me than something that showcases both athleticism and the ability to tell a beautiful story. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. I think Jackie Peso and Elise are doing a project too. And that I'm like so excited to watch the two of them. Like, I think it's like here, hold my kid or something like that. And I'm yeah, just it's like, like here, hold my baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, it's best, amazing. It's the best name you could come up with. And like what better people to go and do that. And did you see that huge spread eagle that Jackie posted today? <laughs> yeah. Fucking massive. She's fucking nuts. I can't, I'll never get over it. She's like, she's the best. I actually really like one of my favorite people to talk to, like such good energy and like great. Uh, people energy. forget how much of a fucking monster she is. She's so badass. Like I'm <laughs> jealous of that kid that she's his mom. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The if I could have her too. as a mom, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell your mom that you're trying to train her out right now. 
I love my mom, but she's not an athlete. And so we understand each other, but don't understand each other at the same time. No pressure, but like, imagine if that kid ends up not being a skier. Yeah. Like, do you ever True. think about that? Like, what if, yeah, like that's a same thing with Elise and Cody. Like, imagine if that kid does not end up being a skier. Yeah, it can go two ways. They'll either turn into the prodigy that they were born to be, or they'll, you know, be forced to do something that they hate and then they'll never do it again. Yeah, exactly. It'll it'll go one way or the other. There's plenty of examples of both, I think, in, in all in all sports at this point. So yeah, uh, I'm interested sure. to see what happens. So um cool. I'm not gonna keep you any longer. I all very right. much appreciate the time. This has been yeah. great. Um where can people find you on TikTok? Where can people find you on Instagram? Like in general, if people want to find your work, how do they connect with you? All that good stuff. This is your time. Yeah. Uh, my social handles are at Aaron Spong um, with an annoying underscore on, underneath or behind each letter. Um, <laughs> just to be obnoxious, I guess. Um, so just Google my name. Um, you can find my social handles. Uh, you can Find me on freeskier.com if you search my name as an author or, yeah, just Google my name and I'm sure many of my articles will pop up. Uh, hit me in the DMs if you have a really interesting story you want to tell. I'm always looking for more content for Free Skier. Um, and hit me up if you want to go ski because Pebble Ski Area just had their closing day yesterday. So I am looking to travel to ski now. Okay, looking to explore. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the time. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate you. It's kind of crazy being on the other side of an interview. <laughs>